Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach from here. Um, there's something ironic uh, about preaching to arguably one of the most pro-life groups in our diocese, and uh, our readings have nothing but death in them. <laughs> like, come on, Lord. Got Jeremiah getting almost killed, John the Baptist getting beheaded. It's like, give me something. You know, I don't know. God, we're killing people left and right. All right. Here we go. Well, I, uh, I'm honored uh, to be with you this morning. I'm honored to celebrate Mass with you this morning. And it's always fun to tag team with, uh, with Father Mark. We, one of the things about Father Mark and I, whenever there's like a big diocesan event, diocesan masses, things like that, we always try and sit near each other because uh, there's always great little subtle comments that happen. And it's just very fun. It's just very fun. So I love, I love tag teaming with you. So... Like I said, today the church celebrates the feast day of St. Peter Chrysologus, who was a 5th century bishop um, and uh, doctor of the church. He was the bishop of Ravenna. He died in 450, and he was really well known for bringing about renewal, conversion, restoration, purification in the, the priests, the, his fellow brother priests at the time. Um, you have to think what the world was going through in the 5th century I don't want to say it's not unlike what we're going through now, but just dark times, confusing times, things that seem so secure and stable were kind of gone. Uh, transitioning out of the golden age of the Roman Empire into the age of kind of darkness and craziness. So that's where he rose to prominence. He was known for his uh, what were called short sermons. Um, <laughs> they were pithy and punchy and filled with moral exhortation. I am not known for short sermons, um, and I don't usually pre- preach on morals, so anyway, so his name, Peter Chrysologus, it means the golden-worded one, right? So don't think, think of also like John Chrysostom, Chrysostom meaning the golden-mouthed, um, golden-tongue, so Peter Chrysologus comes after John Chrysostom, so if he came first, he might have been the Peter Chrysostom, who knows, but uh, he was known for his eloquence and his preaching. All right, so I'm going to try and keep it slightly short. I don't, we'll see. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So the story of John the Baptist's martyrdom has always been, for me, one of the most disturbing stories of the New Testament, one of the most disturbing, unsettling stories of the Gospels. It's brutally violent. You have this sort of psychopathic, vindictive Herodias. You've got weak and spineless, gross Herod the Tetrarch. You've got this party, intoxication, drunkenness. You've got this daughter performing this dance and you got Herod swearing half of his kingdom to this girl making all these promises. And then you've got the bizarre detail of the platter. That's the part I can never get over, right? It's not just bring me John's head. It's bring it to me on a platter. Like what is, that girl needed to talk to somebody. Like someone should have been there for her. She was not doing well. She had some issues. Um, she did. I mean, like, I just picture like, and here's your head. Okay. Uh, well done. Anyway. All right. So as I was praying with this story, as I was praying with this gospel, my heart was like, I was 
like paddling my heart intentionally in a direction in my prayer, which is never how you want to pray. But I was like, like I was really thinking about trying to pray through how much I wanted to relate to John the Baptist in this story. Um, John the Baptist, who is this hero martyr, who stands up for the truth, who speaks and preaches truth to power, suffers for it, long suffering, all of that. He's unbent. He's unbroken. He gets the martyr's crown. Like, I want to be John the Baptist. That's what I want. I want to have that courage, right? And I'm sure, like, there's parts of my story, there's parts of my life where along the way I've had that. I've done that. I've spoken truth to power. I've been, and we all have. Like, we've had different moments of, of courage and martyrdom along the way where we've suffered things, some little persecution here and there. But the longer I sat with the gospel, the more that I saw myself, the more I saw myself in Herod and Herodias, which is awful, right? Like, ah, come on, right? But it's true. That's, the, that's where my heart was like, I just, the Lord just kept showing me these different things in my heart that I see in my heart this same desire to metaphorically, metaphorically, right? Metaphorically behead my critics, right? There's a real desire in me to silence anybody who doesn't just love me. And I don't think I'm the only one in that, right? Like there's a desire, like, I don't want to be told that I'm not doing a good job. I don't want to be, I don't want to have the spotlight shown on things that are less than perfect in my life. You know, there's a desire to metaphorically behead my critics. It's pride. It's ego, right? It's all of that. It's self-protection. Like I said, I don't think I'm the only one in this. At least I hope I'm not, right? Okay. (laughs) Be awfully awkward. Here's the point. By doing that, by entering into that mode of, like, I just want to behead the critics, I rob myself, and I have in many ways, rob myself of many opportunities to grow in intimacy with Jesus. Like, there's been moments where I, where I haven't done that. I've had the criticism, and then you bring this, like, Jesus, is this true? Jesus, is this true what they're saying? Like, show me what's happening. Why, why is this being triggered in me? Lord, show me what's at the root of this, you know? Because criticism, when it, like, when it stings, it's touching on deeper things, right? There's like a, it's like a trailhead that's meant to, it's, if you follow it, it'll lead you to a place of pain, a place of an unredeemed memory, a wound, a, a, some place in the past that, that he wants to get to. You know, there's a reason why certain criticism triggers us in ways that others don't, you know? So by just beheading the critics, you rob yourself of immense healing and you rob yourself of immense opportunity for the Lord to like gently walk you with, by the hand to say like, like yeah, that, that is true. But like, it doesn't make you bad. I, I want to show you where that's coming from. I want to show you where that's coming from. Like when you were five and your best friend moved away and you told yourself, I'm never going to get close to anybody. And then when someone criticizes you for the way that you're harsh and like keep people at a distance... It's like your heart was just hurt. Your heart was just hurt, you know? And so many things just can lay hidden and buried until we allow Jesus to like show us in that trail where it all leads. You know, as much as we dislike it, it's helpful and necessary. You know, not only does it rob me of the opportunity to grow in that holiness and intimacy with the Lord, it robs me of the opportunity to to become more virtuous, you know, like, like none of us are, none of us happen to be surrounded by the people we're surrounded by on accident. 
like the co- the constellation of people that surrounds you, like this community, um, it's not just it's not just happenstance. Like you all are ingredient in each other's growth and holiness. You know, like both in the beauty, but also in uh, the the polishing. You know. When I was, uh, I was probably like six or seven years old, one of the greatest gifts I got for Christmas one year was a, uh, was a rock tumbler, okay? <laughs> it was, I think, my parents' way of like trying to build delay gratification in me, right? Because <laughs> the whole idea is you take these raw rocks, you put them in this barrel, you put some gritty solution in there, and you turn the thing on, and you come back six months later. And they're supposed to be super <laughs> polished and beautiful gemstones. Yeah, it's like... You, like you go down, but like the thing was, you couldn't open it up early. You just had to give it the time, right? And the thing is, like, <clears throat> like y'all are the grit for each other, you know. Like, like part of the growing and holiness is allowing yourself to 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 be rubbed against. It's how this works, right? As much as I don't like it, we need these voices, and yeah, and absolutely, there can be it can go too far, and there are voices that we ought not entertain. Um, But my default position, our default position can't be behead all the critics, you know? That just can't be what it should be. Like, I pray within this community especially, you know, one of the signs of of a real healthy organization is its ability to sustain, or its it's ability to withstand um, healthy conflict. You know, it's a sign of, not of fragility, it's actually a sign of strength that the ability to, like, do the people around me, do I trust that they can bear the weight of my unedited soul? Do I trust that they can, they can handle my big emotions? Do I trust that the people around me aren't just going to crumble if I critique them? Like, that's a sign of health, you know? I hope that you guys have that within your organization, vulnerability, healthy conflict, all of that, um, an openness to correction, you know, where it's not just egos getting bombarded, but just like it's a it's a healthy thing because the father's laboring to love us he's laboring to transform us into uh to more than what we are and it's a work of painful purification you know the work of purification is often painful i don't want to say it's always painful but it's pretty much always often painful you know like it pretty much is because we have to be detached from so many things you know we get just glued into so much and he has to detach us. I mean, and you know this, in your work of healing, walking with women and men, this work of healing is often a very, it's a work of great pain because there are lies and wounds and patterns of healing and thinking or patterns of thinking and coping that have been so deeply ingrained. You have to, it's like in the cellular level, you know, and you treat diseases if you're going to treat something that's in the cellular level, it's like it needs a it needs a kind of chemotherapy, right? You treat cancer on the cellular level because that's where it is, you know. And and walking with people who go who go through chemo, you can see how much, like how much it's 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 painful in the wounding or painful in the healing. The healing's painful, but it's so important. It's so good. All right. So on this feast day of Peter Chrysologus. I don't know if that was a short enough homily. I'm sorry. Um, just an encouragement for us to step more into calling each other on. It's the difference between calling someone out and calling them on. So stepping into 
conflict, stepping into criticism, but also at the same time having a heart that's open to it, open to, you know, healthy, holy, helpful criticism, to listen with humility. It's like, I think about Herod, like, the, the conver- like I wish we could have read about the conversion of Herod. Like, he loved listening to John, but he just couldn't, he couldn't withstand it at a certain point, and he had to behead his critic, or she had to behead the critic. What the conversion of Herod could have meant. Who knows? Who knows? So St. Peter Chrysologus, pray for us. Amen.